Yes, welcome back to Sports Day 4 at Nutrien Ag Solutions. Going further for Australian farmers, find your local branch at nutrien.com.au. Adam White and Bryce are going with you on a Tuesday night. It's time to talk the round ball code now because the Socceroos are in action in the Asian Cup and they're doing pretty well. They've got to the last eight and that is good news. Robbie Slater is a former Socceroos great and he joins us now on Sports Day on SEN. Robbie, thanks very much for your time. Yeah, no worries. Good to talk to you guys. Now, the 4-0 win over Indonesia in the round of 16, is that the best performance so far from the Socceroos? Because on just looking at the scoreboard, you would suggest it is, or is there still improvement required? Oh, look, I, I still think there's improvement. Uh, you know, there were, there were two, two late goals, of course. One to the substitute, Craig Goodwin. Um, and there's obviously... Uh, you know, a lot of discussion whether Craig Goodwin should be starting or he should be used from the bench. Uh, but it's pleasing that he, he's got those kind of problems. Now, depending on who you listen to, uh, I thought it was a pretty good performance. Is there ever room for improvement? Of course there is. There's always room for improvement. But, you know, you have to understand that Japan, South Korea, Saudi Arabia, none of the other big guns had won by this margin. And this was the biggest margin in the tournament so far in it came at the round of 16. Now, you know, I've said largely and loudly that, you know, if the Matildas won a round of 16 game and advanced to the quarterfinals of a major competition, I mean, we'd all be stoked. And rightfully so. Uh, We saw what happened with the Women's World Cup. But for some reason, those within the game, not necessarily those on the periphery of the game, and what I mean by periphery is those that are, you know, not full-on football supporters that maybe watch the Socceroos because it's an interest. They're all quite happy, but it's within the game that we seem to be so negative towards Graham Arnold in particular and, and his team, and I don't get it. Now, again, I'll state, was it a perfect performance? No. Was it a good performance? I think yes. Is there room for improvement? Of course there is, and hopefully... Yeah, you know, we'll see that and we'll need to see that because we'll be up against Saudi Arabia or South Korea in the quarterfinal because they play each other. But, you know, soccer is to get, you know, four goals. You, you, you end the group stage and now the first knockout game and you've uh, scored eight goals and only conceded one in the tournament. Uh, you know, that's pretty pleasing. It's it, Look, I read your article in, uh, in news, uh, the News Limited Press and I... And about this whole thing about the way that people within Australian football talk about the Socceroos specifically, and and I find it fascinating because as someone that loves all sport, but I wouldn't call myself a a football aficionado yeah, exactly. unless we're talking about Tottenham. Um, it it just feels that it's always it, it's always what they could do better as opposed to what they've done well, and they, but they, I think this goes back a long way, even before Graham Arnold. And I don't know why that's the case. And I'm not sure you do either, yeah. reading what you, no. what, you, what you wrote about. No, I, I don't. It's this syndrome. And, and it, it's, it's right through our game. Uh, it's in the A-League. It's, it's, a, it's yep. a football thing, I say, a soccer thing, if you want. And you were the type of person I was talking about that seemed quite pleased and think, you know, and you look at the results. If you're not really following it closely, but you look at the results, you go, oh, Socceroos in the quarterfinals, scored eight goals, only conceded one, one, you know, just one draw and won all the games. You know, must be doing okay, huh? Aha. Read a football expert's comments, most of them, and you'll find something completely different. And, yeah, I don't get it. I don't expect it to change. Uh, but the game is, is, is in a, 
in a you know, if we went broader, and I know we're talking six Socceroos with the A League, uh, we know what's just happened with them. There's there's lots of trouble within the game because there's lots of selfish people within the game that look after self interests and don't think of the better for the game. Uh, and I, and the ones that always pay, the ones that always pay are the players who train hard, the coaches who coach, the owners who put their money into the game, uh, and of course the fans. Um, we're let down by um, you know people running the game that really have shown, uh, at the very least, at the very least, a gross incompetence. But back to the Socceroos, what we were talking about, I'm very hopeful. Of course, it's going to be a tough game. Saudi or, or South Korea is, you know, it's a whole other level. They're all the favourites, you know, coming into those quarterfinals. So it'll be tough, but I'm hopeful with a, a good coach that he proved, you know, in, in the last World Cup that we could beat Denmark and Tunisia and push Argentina all the way. So I'm hopeful that we can, we can get to the semis. Well, um, I think you summed it up incredibly well there, Robbie. Um, I guess the positive out of Saudi Arabia and South Korea is they're knocking each other out. One of them gets knocked out and they were up there in, in the favours. So uh, who do you think is is likely to win that uh, particular game and be our opponent in the quarterfinal? And who do you think we would prefer to play? Yeah, look, it's a good question. Of course, 2015, when we won it, we beat South Korea in the final. So it'll be a replay of the 2015 um, final under coach, your favourite person on the earth in football terms, in Ange Postacoglis. And rightfully so, you've put on your own. Um, And Saudi have always given us trouble, always given us trouble. So they're two very difficult opponents. South Korea are favourites along with Japan, but Japan's form has been patchy as well. I mean, we got criticised for only beating Indonesia 4-0. Japan literally scraped past Indonesia three goals to one. So um, I I fancy South Korea to win it close. Um, So we'll play them and what will be, as I said, a replay of the 2015 Final to put it into perspective for the listeners who, again, not all of them follow it that closely, but the South Korean team is packed with three Premier League players. The best player at the tournament is Son Hung Min, plays for Spurs, as you know. And then you have um, Kim Jae Un, uh, the centre half, who plays for Bayern. And then you've got two other Premier League players. So they're, they're a team stacked with quality. Um, so it'd be a tough ask. But Saudi would be tough as well. but First, you know, we have to get through uh, the next few days and, you know, freshen up, as you expect we are, and uh, it'll be a good contest. Robbie, I, I want to ask you, and this is a, a positive question, about Graham Arnold. You know Graham Arnold very, very well. What makes him such a good manager or, or a coach when it comes to to tournament play? Because there's there's one thing about playing an attractive brand of football uh, there's a, another thing of trying to, I guess, develop talent for the future, is particularly ahead of a, a World Cup in a few years. But there's also about winning. And he, he does seem to find a way to navigate his way through the early phases of tournaments. Yeah, look, he does. And uh, look, I think Arnie's big on culture. You know, wherever he's been, if we go back to the Central Coast Mariners, um, uh, Sydney FC, and then obviously with the national team and being assistant, Obviously, over the years with Chris Hiddink, even as far back as Frank Farina, and he was caretaker and learned a lot 
in 2007, uh, which was which was a you know a very tough Asian Cup at that point. Uh, but he's a, he's a great man manager and he creates a very good culture. And I think you'll hear that from from the players that play. And um, yeah, he's just got that experience now. I mean, when you think of Graham Arnold now, he's a very good friend of mine. Um, yeah, he's been in and around the national team for 40 years, first as a player. Uh, and now as a coach, he's had, you know, he was a few years absent with those years at Mariners and Sydney FC. So he's got a lot of experience in international football. He's been to Olympic Games, uh, both as a player and a coach. Um, so he just knows how to win tournament football, as you put it. So it's uh, something he obviously carries with him. And, you know, he has success with that, with, the, with, with you know, these tournaments getting through those early stages. Of course, the latter stages become a bit more difficult. There's no doubt about that. It does become difficult. Look, just sending over to, to England now, and uh, how surprised were you, Robbie, with Jurgen Klopp and, and the announcement he was going to leave Liverpool at the end of the season? Well, surprised, uh, yes. Look, all good things come to an end. You know, every rain... Yeah, has its end. You just, um, <laughs> I was disappointed because, you know, being a Liverpool fan, uh, you wanted it to go on because you know, you just know that when managers like him leave, it, it becomes difficult. We only have to reference Sir Alex Ferguson, uh, who was 27 years at United, quite extraordinary when you really think about that. And then Arsene Wenger, who was 15 or 16 years at Arsenal. But when those two managers left, obviously... They suffered some very difficult times and and really still are. United have won, you know, I'm not sure even if they've won a cup since Ferguson. I don't think they've won anything since Ferguson left. Uh, and Arsenal, pretty much the same since Wenger's left. Certainly no EPL titles, that's for sure. So the Klopp, you know, after nine years um, at Liverpool, it'll be difficult. To replace him, we're hearing Xabi Alonso, who's a fantastic player for Liverpool, and then went to Real Madrid, and has now got Leverkusen in the Bundesliga, top of the league, haven't lost a game all season. That's an extraordinary, um, extraordinary experience or performance in the Bundesliga, where we know Bayern, Munich, and Dortmund always dominate. Um, so he's the favourite, and. You know, it's looking pretty much like it will be him. Of course, he's not leaving till the end of the season. So Liverpool is still in for all four trophies, League Cup, FA Cup, EPL, and obviously Champions League. So hopefully, before he leaves, they can get something. So, Robbie, I know you're on the other side of the world, but do, do you know why, not so much why he's leaving, because I think he's made that pretty clear that he, he, he needs a new challenge or he's lost his hunger potentially, and, and maybe he is going to go somewhere else. But more the timing of it, um, halfway through a season where Liverpool really is probably one of two teams that, that can realistically win the title. Is it is it to try and spark this group or is it that he was worried yeah. that the news was going to get out? I'd be interested why you think now that it's been made public. I think his relationship with the supporters and the club is that strong. Yeah. That I think he just wants, to, having made his decision, he didn't want to treat, treat them with anything that could be seen as disrespect. Yep. And he has this honest, open, fantastic, real love affair with the, the Liverpool Football Club in its entirety. So I think he just wanted to be honest with them that he had made up his decision, that there was no going back. 
that uh, he was drained physically, mentally, because the job, if you watch him on the sidelines, mate, you know, it's like he's playing the game. So the energy he puts into, you know, that football club and that team is extraordinary. And it's fully understandable that after nine years, you might need a year off. And that's what he said he's going to do. He's going to take a year off. He said he'll never coach in England again. He'll, he, won't, he won't coach against Liverpool. Uh, and I think it's for all those reasons that he decided to just come out with his family. That's how he views Liverpool. And be honest with his family and saying, look, I'm not going now. I'm staying here. I'm going to give you my best till the end of the season and, um, you know, win what we can. Of course, they are top of the league with City looming. Um, and I, I think it's quite, quite as simple as that. It's got a bit of last dance about it, doesn't it? Just uh, the group together. This is our last chance. So, and yeah. as you mentioned, there's four titles in order uh, all ready to be ticked off. Uh, it, it really has some epic documentary about to be brewing, I think. <laughs> I think you're right. And, uh, of course, in one of those cup competitions, the Carabao Cup, they're in the final already with that word. They'll play Chelsea. Um, so that's one final already. And I think you're right. It is um, you know, a bit of the last dance because I fancy... In fact, I'm pretty positive that you know he won't be the only one of the Liverpool inverted commas legends to be leaving uh, at the end of the season because a lot of the players of, that have been there under his reign are getting older. Mo Salah, uh, Virgil Van Dijk, you know players like that uh, are certainly towards the end of their careers at Liverpool at the very least. Robbie, I like the way that you say they instead of you're itching to say we, uh, as in <laughs> we're going to win the titles. Um, I really like how you do that professionally. That's really nice. Uh, back onto the A-League locally now. Um, Graham Arnold um, flagged something, uh, which is interesting. It's an interesting discussion, I think, um, just around the length of the season, suggesting that the 25-game season is too short. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, there's no doubt that there's not enough football played. 25 games is not enough. 26, 27, 28 is not enough. I mean, I, I would imagine the minimum of 32. Uh, there's two more teams coming into the A-League, if you can believe it, uh, considering the position at the moment, given what's going on at the APL. Um, we'll another more question. Games. <laughs> That's another Yeah, I thought so. And, um, yeah, so more games is definitely needed. Because you look around the world, I mean, you know, we're, we're the shortest competition, uh, you know, and you, you're looking to for players. And you only have to see the players that leave these shores who are good A-League players, but they were there. And I think of Medcalf and I think of quite a few of those players. Lewis Miller is one from the Mariners. Quite a few of them are operating in um, in Scotland. You've got Riley McGree and, and a host of other players that they go. Kai Rolls is playing centre-half and might, may play in the quarter-final. Uh, when they go to these competitions, although we don't have players in the top, top competitions, they're still playing more games. And you see a real development, further development of them. And, you know, I think Conor Metcalf's been a revelation uh, since his move overseas and now playing for the Socceroos. He's gone to another level. So there's no doubt the more games you play, as a footballer, the better you get. And, you know, the aim of, of playing more games is one that Graham Arnold is deeply, because I know, because he's unfortunately, you know, normally, you know, there's a saying that you can you can choose your mates but not your family, but unfortunately, Arnie's a bit like family, so we're best mates. 
and um, yeah, we've talked over over the years about this. And uh, if you go back, actually, before the, the inception of the A League, um, the old NFL used to play 36 games from memory. That's where I was brought up in before I went overseas. So the difficult thing, guys, is yeah, and this is the debate that football is going to have to have. Summer is not conducive to entertaining football, by and large. And, you know, it's only common sense. Like, if you think of the other codes, you go and play an AFL game, I don't care whatever team it is, and you go and play it in 35 to 40 degree heat in summer, and the game will not be as fast as it is in winter. It's just physically impossible. And the A-League has that problem. Now, it's been in summer forever, the A-League. And even the old NSL was in summer for for ten years before the the creation of the of the of the A League. So, but I do believe that, given its current crisis because of poor decisions, uh, and like I said, gross incompetence and and the wasting of 140 million from Silver Lake that invested in this competition and a deal that was done and a deal that should never have been done or allowed to be done because it's not promised at all that it was supposed to deliver. But the broader question in respect to where we are is that crowds have dwindled. It's got nowhere near us back to to pre-COVID levels. Um, You you have clubs, Raymond, really struggling to stay afloat. A lot of the clubs are broke. They're getting less than half of the the money they were promised when this deal was struck two and a half years ago. And, you know, they're dying uh, and they're, they're struggling. But the broader, as I said, the broader question is the debate between summer and winter. This, you know, because obviously I was involved and, and still am involved with the A-League in a different level. But, um, you know, the broadcasters, to convince them to to allow a broadcast deal to, to be in winter because obviously then it's up against the other codes. Uh, I don't think football would struggle in winter against the other codes. I think, you know, there's nothing wrong with being an AFL fan and a, a soccer fan or vice versa. So I think that debate's pretty much dead now. You're not going to get less in winter than what you're getting now. So that's the broader question. It's a difficult one, but there's some very difficult questions ahead uh, for the game. And, uh, now, the questions that are, are right now uh, in, are really what happened to all the money in two and a half years for all that money to be gone that was supposed to be spent on infrastructure for the game but was spent on... on well, I mean, there was ridiculous things. Like, they had a song made that cost $3 million. You know, they, they spent $40 million. They said They say $30 million. I know it's 40-plus it's million on keep-up you might say, what's well, keep up? And that'll be my point. <clears throat> so how this money was spent. And the, we, there's still a lot of money left. Where did it go? What they need now is, uh, in my opinion, and what I'll be, the next thing I'll be calling for, because we're hearing silence, is that there needs to be an audit. There needs to be transparency on, on what's going on, because that was the game's money. That was a, a deal that was promised to take the game to a new a new level, and it's done exactly the opposite. Robbie, really appreciate your time, and, and we love your passion. And if we had more time, we'd 
we'd ask you more questions about it because I, I think there are some fascinating things that you've just brought up there in, in some of the things you said. And I think the, the summer-winter thing is a really interesting discussion I'd love to have with you uh, another time. But uh, we've run out of time now. Thank you so much for joining us. And, um, yeah, we'll catch you again soon. Anytime, boys.